This is Matthew 8, 117, the word of God for us this morning. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, we just finished after almost three months of studying the Sermon on the Mount. We are now... Moving into uh, Jesus operating and demonstrating what he's been talking about. So at the end of chapter 7, right before what Kathy read, the people are astonished. They're amazed at what Jesus has spoken to them, what he's preached. Like many of you who leave here on a Sunday morning. The authority in which Jesus is spoken has left them amazed because he doesn't speak like other people that they've heard before. So Jesus has been proclaiming what the kingdom of God looks like. He's been painting this beautiful picture on the Sermon on the Mount of what the kingdom of God looks like, what it looks like to live with Jesus as king and us as his people. Now he's moving from proclamation to demonstration. Jesus is about to flex. He wants to make sure that we know his words are not to be put on the shelf with Buddha or a master yogi or Oprah. He is not an inspirational speaker. He is not a spiritual guru. If you think that you can put him in that box and that's just how you like your Jesus, prepare for your box to be messed with. In fact, just expect an expiration date on that. You will walk away at some point if you try to keep him locked inside of your nice, tidy box. The authority 
of Jesus of Nazareth is unrivaled in human history. Napoleon, who is a man of power and authority, says this about Jesus. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus is not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. Between him and every person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Authority knows authority. Jesus is using his authority and power to advance the kingdom of God now. And it is gloriously good. This next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Jesus' authority being exercised over sickness, over demons, over weather, right now, in Jesus' name, and then over sin itself. This week, we're specifically going to be drilling down into Jesus' authority over sickness. And when it comes to this kind of subject of healing, we can be quick to move towards a couple, like, way, in, in, moving like a couple different ways. One is, like, we just totally want to avoid it. Like, we don't talk about Bruno. No, 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 no. We're just, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't like all of the questions that come with it. We're over it. Another move that we can make is we just admire it, like, oh, how inspiring is it that this took place there in this old book with that man back then? How incredible, how wonderful, but that was just then, and now we have walk-in clinics. Another move that we can do is just assume, like, we, we just assume we know how this works. Like, there's a formula and you either know the formula or you don't know the formula. You're like here today to say like, ah, I, I don't get it, but I know it could happen. Or you're here and like, no, I get it. I could teach a course on this. Either way, these are all kind of understandable responses as we begin to open up this subject of healing ministry. Most of these are born out of our experiences, though. And I want to just remind us as we kick off our experiences are not absolute truth. Jesus is. Not saying that your experiences aren't real or valid, but they may not be telling you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or at least your interpretation of them. And I just want to humbly ask that you would this morning bring your experiences, bring your hurt, bring your disappointment, bring your questions. Bring your fear, bring your hopes or expectations to Jesus this morning. I've, uh, I've prayed for people, and I've seen things and not seen things. About 10 years ago, I was a part of a college ministry called Elevate in Visalia, and there was a woman who came in just in tears, and she had a tumor on her kidney, and the doctor said, you have like six months to live. So she came in just weeping beside herself and said, would you pray for me? And I'm like, whew, sure. And I prayed 
what I honestly felt like was just a not a great prayer. I was mostly sad. I was mostly worried. I was mostly insecure, but I prayed. Next week, on a Tuesday, she comes running in to Cafe 210 down, downtown Visalia with an x-ray. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. And we pass around this x-ray like, I don't know what I'm looking at, but I'm believing you that this is not here. It's a bunch of non-blurry and blurry things. Rewind a little bit earlier in my life. I'm young. I don't know exactly what age. I I hadn't given my life to the Lord, but I, I loved God. I was around Jesus' people. And a good friend of ours uh, had cancer. Uh, her name is Denise. And she was one of my mom's very best friends. And I remember praying in my little twin bed at night with like my thundercats around, I'm sure. And I just remember saying, God, If you heal Denise, I will follow you my whole life. And Denise died from cancer. And I'm following Jesus today with my whole heart. I don't understand how this works. I don't know what the system is. I'm not claiming that this morning. What I'm also sharing for for us this morning is that I'm not putting my faith in a system. I've not faith in Jesus. Who's inviting you and me into a way of believing and living that begins with him, depends on him, and ends with him. Today's passage, as Kathy was reading, it's interesting because at the very end it says that Jesus healed all the people that were sick or tormented, that were brought to him. All of them. I don't know how many that is. It doesn't give us a count, but I'm guessing a lot. I'm guessing that's a whole lot. Why, this is the question, why do we just get the three stories? Like what's so important about these three that we get? If there were so many to choose from, why did these make it into the greatest hits list? I want to suggest to us that two reasons this morning. I don't know if this, I'm sure there's a lot more than this, but This is what I'm spotting. One, I think that Jesus wants to remind us, share with us, give us revelation this morning that he is actually more eager and able to heal than we realize, than we're comfortable with, than we understand. He is eager and able to heal. Also believe there's something else here that we see in Scripture, that there's actually a direct link between faith and healing. But... God's power is not limited or contingent on our faith. So let's look at these three examples this morning, these three miracles that are before us. The first one is a leper, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Lots of you probably have been around church for a while, or you maybe have made the mistake of Googling leprosy, so you know what it is. It's a skin disease. It's very contagious. It affects the color and the texture and the odor of your skin. When it fully sets in, you start to lose limbs and pieces of your body. You actually begin to lose feeling in your body. So you you could break something very easy because you can't feel the weight of something. You could burn yourself. You could cut yourself. 
There's all kinds of things that you can get in trouble with. That's what's happening physically. There's nothing to stop this or help prevent this. There's also some social implications that lepers are dealing with. You couldn't live in community like this. You weren't allowed to come into this tent on a Sunday morning if you had leprosy. In fact, you couldn't look as good as you look right now. You would have to wear torn clothes to expose the decay on your body. You'd have to dishevel your hair, which, you know, some of, you know. Anyways, so you'd have to make it representative of what's going on. You, you and I, we, we like to cover up, you know, like if we've got like a little thinning action or if we've got something on our body that we're ashamed of, you get baggier clothes, whatever. This is not allowed. It's actually illegal for lepers to try to cover themselves up for good reasons. They, they didn't want anything to spread throughout the community. But lepers also had to announce their ailment everywhere that they went. Any social setting, any time there was another human being in sight, they had to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. I mean, can you imagine? Like, what, what's the psychological implications of this? If you had to just walk around and, like, share all of your, like, ailments, like, bipolar, 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 high blood pressure, high blood pressure, high blood pressure. Sometimes leprosy would affect your vocal cords and you couldn't actually speak. There'd be a raspiness and so you couldn't project. So they gave you a bell to ring or they put it around your neck like cattle. And as soon as anybody heard that, everyone split. There's also a spiritual kind of implication hanging over the heads of lepers because this was considered to be a curse from God. You did something really bad. And the only intervention, the only cure is if God stepped in and healed you. And healings for leprosy were so rare those days, it was compared to raising the dead. Lepers were considered the original walking dead. And rabbis, holy men, they couldn't be within six feet. There was social distancing long ago. There's also spiritual distancing going on here. You can't even get close to somebody for them to pray for you. So that this man jumps over all of these hurdles and barriers to get to Jesus, all of his limitations, is absolutely commendable. But I believe that the posture in which he comes to Jesus is what captures his heart, is what moves him. He doesn't say, Lord, if you can, would you please heal me? No, he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He's not, he's not questioning his authority or ability. He's questioning his character. I know you can do this, but would you do it for someone like me? And Jesus doesn't say a word. Before he even speaks, in John, I love this, in John's gospel, it starts with saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus doesn't speak immediately to this leper. He becomes the living Word and extends his hand and reaches out and touches this man before he says anything. 
How long had it been since this man had felt the touch of someone? Some of you were locked away in your home for months during COVID. And the moment that you got to hug somebody and embrace somebody, it was, it was like something got released. How long had this man been affected? We don't know. No handshakes, no hugs, no pat on the back, just screams and distancing. And Jesus knows there's a deeper healing that needs to take place. And so he extends himself to this man and touches him and says, oh, I will be clean. And he's totally clean. His skin is restored, but his dignity, his humanity is restored because Jesus steps across the line and touches him. Jesus doesn't just give us a healing word. He gives us his very hands, his very presence. The second story that we have is the soldier man. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. There's all kinds of surprises and twists and turns. If you think that you've got Jesus figured out, like, just lean in a little closer. He just loves messing our hair up. He just loves messing with all of our little ducks that we think are in a row. Surprise number one, it's a centurion who came to him. So he's, he's a lot like the leper in that he is not who you'd expect to get direct access to Jesus. He's a Gentile, who mean, it means he's not a, uh, like part of the people of God. He's not the chosen people. He's also a Roman soldier, so he's an oppressor of the people of God. He works for the man. He's the wrong race. He's wearing the wrong jersey, and he gets access to Jesus. Second surprise is that he says, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. He, again, he recognizes authority in Jesus. He's under the lordship of Caesar. Rome didn't put Jesus to death because he was claiming that he was God. They didn't have a problem with that. They had a lot of crazies in Rome who would talk about themselves in this way. That didn't bother them. There was room for that. What there wasn't room for is another Lord, another person who has authority, who would match or rival Caesar. That's not okay. Surprise number three, Jesus says that he'll come. He says yes to this man's request, who has no business, who has no business coming and making that request to him. Here's what the soldier says, don't come. Don't come. You can actually just say the word and he'll be healed. I understand how authority works. I'm both under authority and I exercise authority. I get it. I understand and Jesus hears this soldier's description of authority, and he's astounded. He marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus isn't shocked like, oh, finally somebody believes me. He's shocked that this guy who has no business knowing what this actual, what's actually taking place here knows, sees, recognizes, and he's moving towards him. Here's one of the biggest surprises. The insiders are now out, and the outsiders are now in. Now, this is the best news for us. 
Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The centurion comes for healing, and he ends up being invited into heaven through faith in Christ. Here's the shocking reality. Many who think that they are in will find themselves out due to a lack of faith in Jesus. You put it somewhere else. Many who thought they were out are going to find that they're actually in because they have put their faith in Jesus. So the super religious Pharisees who would not come, who would not bow a knee to Jesus, well, they don't have a seat at the table. I love that Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. I don't really like, you know, the picture of like big puffy clouds and fat baby angels with harps and stuff. I just can't get into that. But I can get into a wedding feast with wine and bread, fatty meats, all day. Don't let the body fool you. I love a good feast. This Gentile military man working for the bad guys who will receive Jesus with faith as Lord, well, he gets a reservation for that feast. It's amazing. What is Jesus doing? He's not attacking the Jewish people here. What he's doing is he's attacking a possessiveness and an exclusiveness that manipulates and it pollutes a religious community to believe that they are just super sure that they've got it all together. This is what he's come to mess with in you and in me. Is your box being messed with yet? Peter's mom. Here we go. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. What is, what's the point of this story? To mess with our Catholic brothers and sisters? Because apparently the first pope had a wife. No? Too close for home on that joke? Okay. Maybe should have Mark screen this. Maybe this is here as just a flashing neon sign to you and I this morning that there is no such thing as too small for Jesus. Jesus will stop for even the smallest fever. There is in Scripture an undeniable link between faith and healing. All throughout Scripture, you'll see these statements. It will be according to your faith. Your faith has made you well. Jesus couldn't do very many miracles there because of their lack of faith. There's a link here. It's undeniable, but it is not an exclusive link. The leper, the centurion, they had faith to move past some barriers and some situations to get to Jesus. Man, come desperate. Come full of faith that he can heal you and meet you in your time of need. Yes and amen. But what about Peter's mother-in-law? What did she do? Nothing. She, did, did she even know that Jesus was there? She was taking a nap, a fever nap. Those are deep naps. 
She doesn't ask for healing. It's not said that she put her faith in Jesus. Jesus saw her on his own initiative. He sought her and he healed her. Sometimes Jesus is moved by our faith and he heals. And sometimes Jesus just moves because of the mercy inside of him and brings healing. When you least expect it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Faith is huge. But we have to be careful not to load the scales of faith with too much weight as though God won't or will not do anything unless we or somebody who's super spiritual believes hard enough or prays hard enough or recites enough scripture. Beware of putting your faith in faith and not putting your faith in Jesus. Does God move when we pray in faith? Sure. Absolutely. Does God only move when we pray in faith? No. Thank God. He does whatever he wants. This is a perk of being God. He doesn't answer to you. He doesn't answer to me. He runs on his own agenda and timeline. Don't get caught thinking that you figured out how Jesus works because you read the book. Oh, well, if I do this, then I get that. Oh, but if I, you know, if, if, if Jesus is this way, and Jesus would never say that, don't speak for him. Don't box him in. Don't domesticate him. Don't bring him down to your level. He'll come to you. Don't worry. But he'll always bring you up to something different. When it comes to healing, we can totally miss Jesus. Here's the thing. It's about Jesus even more than it's about your healing. We can fall off the horse on a couple sides. We can actually start to believe that Jesus just doesn't heal anymore. This is not something that he does today. There's actually no grounds in Scripture to believe that. But there are some grounds in our experiences to believe that. The scriptures today that we're reading and chewing on, they are absolutely inviting us out of our unbelief into the miraculous this morning. And it's uncomfortable. And it's out of our scope. But this is Jesus. The moment you think he's in your scope, he's gone. He's going to keep messing with us. Unbelief is so safe. It's so safe to stay there. Well, it just doesn't happen like this. Unbelief always gets what it wants. It doesn't risk anything. And there is a cynic that's developing in me and developing in you the more that we live in this life. And it does not make us stronger or wiser. It makes us cowards. Oh, Jesus doesn't do that. Who are you to say what Jesus does or does not do? Who am I? We can also be in danger here if we start treating healing like it's our God-given right. I deserve this. We can also be in danger when we think that we can get it right, like if we do the right formulas or the right incantations or buy the good oil instead of the cheap oil or whatever gimmicky thing, like we can do this. We can stir it up. 
We're in danger when we act like we deserve to be healed. We're in danger of missing the gospel when we think that we're in the driver's seat and can command healing and get it through the right amount of volume or, you know, in intensity. The leper models for us something so beautiful. Boldness plus humility. You can. You can do this, God. Do you, do you feel that, like, authority? He sees it. He's just saying what he sees. You totally can do this. And then his posture is he bends a knee. He takes a lowly position. Will you? How respectful is that of Jesus? Oh, I know you can. Would you do it? Would you do it today? We don't get to boss God around. And I would say be leery of anything, anything that overemphasizes our approach above the one that we're approaching. Our faith is not in our approach, but it's in him who we approach with fear and trembling. When we look at the text today, you have to see that Jesus is eager and able to heal. When you look at the text today, look at who gets access to Jesus. I know you've got a lot of excuses of why you wouldn't be in line to get healed by Jesus. But look, look who it is. All three stories involve outcasts, people who had no business, a leper, a woman, a Roman soldier. In those days, the temple was set up with very specific places for very specific people. Everyone wanted to come. You had to get your sins atoned for. You wanted communion with God. You, you wanted community with him. And so you come to the temple, and you have the Holy of Holies, where only one could go into, the high priest. And then you've got the holy place, where the priests, only like the super religious chosen ones, you know, you know who they are. You've got them in your mind. That was their place. And then outside of that is a court of men, only men, only Jewish men could be there. And then outside of that was a court of women, only Jewish women who could be there. And then there was a court for the Gentiles, and this was Gentiles who were going to convert into Judaism. And then out of that, there was the outer wall of the complex. The leper would have been on the outer ring. You, you cannot come past this. And then Peter's mother-in-law would have only been granted so much access. That Roman soldier, only so much access. Peter himself, only so much access. He wasn't in like the cool kids club. He wasn't chosen or special like that by man's standards, by religion's standards. What we see with these three miracles is the walls are coming down. And the lepers and the women and the Roman soldiers are coming down in. There is no excuse. There is no excuse this morning to believe that Jesus doesn't, won't, or isn't able to heal. Jesus is inviting us into the atoning work of his sacrifice this morning to be healed and to see others healed.